Greetings, 7 Second Delay fans, and welcome to part six of our six-part series of WFMU listeners interviewing Andy Breckman Mann and myself, Station Manager Ken. Tonight, we bring you two interviews, one by listener Fredericks that concerns Johnny Thunders, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and fascism. And then in the second half of the program, we will hear an interview by our own Roger Sayre, host of Double Dip Recess on Saturday mornings. And Roger will be talking to us about dad jokes, the first records Andy and I ever bought, and our early memories of radio. And as these two interviews run a little bit short, in the last 15 minutes, we'll be hearing some clips. Next week, Andy returns from Toronto for an all-new live show. Right now... Here is the interview that Fredericks conducted with Andy and myself. Andy, you can let Fredericks begin, or Andy, you can begin. Well, Fredericks, I want to want to uh, thank you for joining us. You you're running a little running a little late. I guess you thought Ken said we're starting at two o eight. I thought he said two forty five. To be honest, I was I thought I was early. Yeah, time is so confusing. It can be sometimes. It sure can be. Well, we got 20 minutes, so let's yeah, so let's just kick it off. So, Fredericks, what did you want to uh, talk to Andy or I or both of us well, about? First off, well, first off, let's say hello to Fredericks. Where are you? Where are you calling from, Fredericks? Newport Richie, Florida. And where is that? Is that on the? Is that in the near the up north? Is that near the Panhandle? Nope, it's on the west coast, just a little bit north of Tampa. Oh, uh, or north of Tampa. Uh huh. That's, that's exactly where you belong, my friend. And then, I feel? oh, go ahead. How long have you lived there? Oh, well, I've been in this general region since 1979. Right. And I how guess. Long been, how long have you been out of work? <laughs> Not at all. Oh. <laughs> I don't get a break. And what what kind of work do you do? Well, I don't usually go into that. Okay, I understand and I respect that. Uh, what kind of work do you do? I, I do uh, construction-related work. Oh, I can see why you'd be reluctant to mention that you're in construction. And I also podcast. Oh, well, that's something, <laughs> that's something I would not mention. Oh, is this for your podcast, this interview? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Frederick's mind thing. Great. Hey, Frederick, you might, you might be interested in this. I met a man... Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, in uh, in New York, uh, who did not have a podcast. No yeah. way! No way! Yeah. Well, he does. By now, he does. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. yeah where Where did you run into him? Was he like living underground in the subways or something? He. <laughs> no, One of the people he, Clay interviews. He he was serving me uh, serving me coffee at uh, Starbucks. Huh. And how did looked like up? a looked like a regular guy. You like you wouldn't be able to tell any anything. How did it come up as part of the conversation, Andy? I said uh, thank you for the coffee. I'll be sure to listen to your podcast. <laughs> you say that to everybody these and days. Then, yeah, of course. And then he said, "I don't have a podcast." And then I just dropped my coffee. <laughs> wow did he ah. give Did he give you another one? Oh, good, good question, Ken. The, the son of a bitch owes me a coffee. Yeah, usually, even wow. if it's your own fault, if you spill it like that right after buying it, they'll give you another. Now, Fredericks, tell me about, tell us about your podcast. What's it called again? Fredericks Mind Thing. I've been you, doing it. Are you saying mind like brain, M-I-N-D? M-I-N-D, yeah, but I think of the mind and the brain as different things. They're related, but not the same. Well, tell me about it. In your case, you and Ken have that in common. Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm getting interviewed instead of interviewing, but that's okay. That's fine. I've tried telling Andy about this, but he doesn't get it. Andy doesn't. Uh, Ken, you and, Ken, you and Fredericks are on your own evolutionary branch. You're way out there. Uh, no one can reach you without a ladder. We would need a ladder to reach your branch. So, Fredericks. And Fredericks, what is a typical podcast? What is a typical show? Well, the last few years, actually, since around 2016, it has taken a very political turn. And I do a lot of analysis about what's going on in our country and the rise of fascism, and I call it that. And uh, the, So, you're not afraid to call a fascist a fascist? Correct. 
That's that's very courageous of you. Yeah, Andy's Andy's always always had a soft spot in his heart for the German fascists. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to call a fascist my brother. Oh, I just uh, I just don't want any trouble. I call everyone brother just to be safe. So funny you say that because my one of my favorite news people down here in Tampa was a gentleman named Rob Lorai who worked for a community radio station down here called WMNF. Yeah. He he lost his job for calling someone, I believe it's called a capo. Is that a Jew that cooperated with the Nazis? Oh, a capo. A capo. Isn't that the Italian term for a captain, for like a street captain, a mob captain? That's what I thought. Then it's capo, perhaps? K-A-P-O. I don't know. I mean, I, I could see capo. I could see the word capo being, you know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? If three, If three relatively intelligent people are not sure about the definition <laughs> of capo, what manager on earth would fire this guy? The guy who fired him. Oh, the guy who fired him. Yeah. You mean, you mean the guy who fired him was 100% sure what capo meant and how derogatory it was? Yes. Yeah, capo. Yes. I think wow. you could do a lot worse than the word capo, I think. You can. I have a whole list here. Yeah. Frederick, in your podcast, have you ever spoken to a bona fide, genuine fascist? No. I know you talk about them, but have you ever met them? A genuine fascist. Not on my podcast. I have definitely met fascists. But not on your podcast. Oh well, some yeah, of it, some of Andy's yeah, best some of Andy's yeah. best friends are fascists, so he could contact a bunch of his buddies. Well, and some of the some of the girl fascists are pretty hot. You got it. You have to admit that. You'll I admit that. I, I have not. I've not checked into that. I admit that, Andy. Yeah, you can't deny that. No, but, but we're like, only we're only human. Really, like Marjorie Taylor Greene? Oh no, no. Oh. Andy, is she, on your, is she on your wait? Is she on your fascist list? I, she is, yeah, yeah. Okay, Jewish okay. space lasers and stuff. Come on, Andy. Okay, that's a fascist. I think okay, Andy. Sure. Andy was more. Andy was talking about the uh, female contingent of the Boogaloo Boys. I think when when he was talking about the super hot female fascist. I'm Boogaloo girls. I'm still confused about the capo. Uh, <laughs> Well, okay. why don't we let why don't we let Fredericks begin his interview? Because we only to be, to be honest with you, Ken, I'm scared. Okay, because we've uh, we're, we're we're halfway into the time already. So. Okay, Frederick, what what would you what would you like to ask us? Well, I was going to ask about music. Then I was going to talk about politics, but and then humor kept coming up. But now we ended up talking about politics. So I'm really a little bit. I'm not sure which way to go. Well, what would you have, What would you have asked Ken? As most Ken is the station manager. What would you have asked him about music? Uh, well, I was going to ask him about uh, Johnny Thunders in Michigan. He had, made a, <laughs> he had made a reference one time that he was going to school and something about Johnny falling down the stairs and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Johnny Thunders uh, lived in my dormitory in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What happened was um, he was he was trying to stop using heroin. Um, so he moved from New York City to Detroit and he was trying to be clean in Detroit and, and kick the habit. And uh, this was, you know, at the height of the punk rock era, 77, 78. And uh, a bunch of the punks who lived in my dorm found out that Johnny Thunders was living in <laughs> Detroit and they they started visiting him and bringing him heroin. And uh, next thing we knew, he was living in the dormitory, actually. He actually was illegally living in the dorm. And all the punks in East Quad at the University of Michigan kept... Uh, you know, bringing him food and, and heroin and stuff like that. And uh, he did some shows. He did some guest appearances on my old college radio station. Oh, really? Yeah, which were which were pretty hilarious. Oh, um, man. Yeah. Are, there, are there records of that? Yeah, yeah, there is. There is a famous tape of him um, uh, cursing a blue streak on the air and playing the Shangri-Las on, uh, on, wow. my, on my old college student station, which was WCBN in Ann Arbor. Did you ever catch him and Wayne Kramer in Gang War? Did you? No, I, I didn't. Okay. I did not. Now, Jeff, for, for uh, not every, I mean, of course, I know who Johnny Thunder is. I yeah. Of course you do. Everyone, but, but some of our listeners might not. 
might not uh, recognize the name. Why don't you? Well, he's a punk rock legend. He was in uh, he was in the Heartbreakers. He formed the New York Dolls. He was in the New York Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. And then his heroin. He, he made a few good records throughout the years and lots of very mediocre bootlegs. But I've yeah, heard. but also had a couple of classic songs like you can't wrap your arms around a memory. Right. And Chinese mm-hmm. Chinese, rock. Chinese rocks are like are classics. Those are, those are classics. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are funny kind of classics. Yeah. No one's ever, no one's ever heard of them. Yeah. So it's, it's, so it's an unusual title plan. Unless you listen to FMU on occasion, you'll hear them. You ever hear them? Uh, yeah. No, I, well, that would, that would exclude me. There's no chance I, I'll hear them. I know. You only broadcast on it, right? You don't ever listen to I it. I don't even, uh, Frederick, I don't even listen to my own show as I broadcast. Oh. I'm listening. I have earphones on. I'm listening to something else. Okay. Well, now can I jump to the politics again while I got Ken lined up here? Yeah. Sure. Okay. I hate okay. You made a prediction about... <laughs> The breakup of the Republican Party, and you said you wanted Trump to win back in like 2015, and I was just curious how you thought that was progressing. Uh, I think it's going pretty well. It's going according to plan. I think I think the phrase that I used back in 2015 is that Donald Trump was an angel sent from heaven to destroy the Republican Party, and uh, I'd say he's doing a fairly good job of it. Okay. Well, Ken, wait, Ken, are you? Did you really make that prediction? Yes. Uh, uh, wow, good for you. Yeah, thank you. Although yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really count. Ken, Frederick, as you know, Ken just babbles and makes insane predictions constantly. Uh, so so one out of every 400 are bound to, are bound to stick. Yeah, it's, it's like a chimpanzee throwing dots at the uh, list of companies on the New York Stock Exchange. Or uh, yeah. it's like a, a broken watch telling the right time twice a day. It's like that. I actually tried this once. I tried throwing a chimpanzee at a list of companies. How did that go? No, bad, bad. Yeah, I'm sure he got really, bad. he got angry, right? No, the darts is a better idea. Have you ever seen a psychic? I've seen I've seen footage of psychics just sitting there making insane predictions, just 500, 600, 700 predictions on video, uh, a timestamp, so they can then cherry pick with the ones that come. Wow, I haven't seen that, but I have heard that. Uh, yeah. the, the old TV psychic Criswell, there's some recordings of Criswell making one insane prediction after another. Yeah. yeah, and I heard that that's the best thing about being a futurist, is if you're wrong, everybody forgets your name. And if you're right. right. Anyway, on that subject, anyway, congratulations, Ken, for, Thank calling, you. for calling that political di- dynamic yeah. actually occurring. So can we talk about cancel culture, Andy? Are you concerned uh, about that at all? I, I, I'm happy happy to talk about it, and especially happy to talk about it on WFMU, which is uh, a safe harbor. The uh, it's the Alamo. It's the last stand for uh, for the First Amendment. So you can get away with your transgressive humor. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard for me. As you know, I'm a fascist, and uh, so it's very hard for me to find a show. Do you spell that K A P O by any chance? I spell it K A P O exactly. Okay, good. All right. So there, uh, Andy did go through a period when he was quite worried about being canceled and started pulling his punches on the air. That was a little weird. It was when he yeah. had a, he had a TV series on, and he was actually worried that he was going to get canceled. I forgot. I I forgot that no one was listening. And uh, I got worried. And it did. To... I remember it. I remember it truly amused Ken. It was. It was really fascinating because after so many decades of you yeah. uh, <laughs> not not caring at all, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, he's really worried that he might get canceled. But it took me a year to get my wife to take you guys seriously because it was. We started listening when. Andy was making his rape jokes and the child molestation jokes. Yeah, you know? well, those are evergreen. There's nothing, there's nothing funny about rape, but there's nothing not funny about child molestation. <laughs> what do you make of Dave Chappelle's uh, attacks on the trans community? I don't, I have not seen it. Was that on like a Netflix special that I, I only saw the headline? Yeah, he did do uh, he did do a whole special on it, but he's you t- say, now you have to be careful about the language you use, Frederick. I don't know if he, I don't know if he would agree he was attacking the trans community. I haven't, I didn't see the. Uh, yeah, I would not, I would not say that he was attacking the trans community. 
I mean, if he was just if he was being nuanced about it, he, that is in some circles considered an attack. That's the no. problem. That's the problem we're having, I think. Right. Okay, I see what you're saying. So it could be considered humor. It could be expense. Well, I mean, was the did the uh, did the order, did the arena did the uh, ten thousand people were they laughing? Most of them, yes. I'm okay. Well, then it is. Then Frederick, no matter what you say, it is humor. Right. Well, Dave, David Feldman was the one that really brought my attention to what Chappelle was doing. Oh, hey, I know. Wait, David Feldman, the podcaster from yes, New York? Yes, I know he knows you. Well, he yeah, talked about riding him. in a car with you and Weigel going to D.C. Was he a writer for SNL or something? Yeah. Or Letterman? Uh, Letterman? He oh, maybe he has no. He's a very, very funny, uh, talented writer. I don't know if he's ever worked for SNL, but... John Stewart, I know he did. Oh, John Stewart, I know he worked for uh, for some of those guys, yeah. He said you guys were in the front seat, and for the whole ride, you just were playing dumber and dumber and dumber, and he said he just sat in the back seat laughing the whole way to Washington, D.C. Uh, I guess that was a few years ago. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, uh, tell him I say hi. Okay, next I time I to talk to him. Yeah, I talk to him every once in a while. And does Tony Shalhoub ever bring up the time when Ken was drunk? <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, okay. That's a sweet memory, too. Tony Shalhoub, who I've worked with and I'm working with now. Yeah, ex explain uh, explain what Fredericks is referring to there. Uh, I, uh, Tony Shalhoub, uh, uh, who's a partner of mine on a couple of projects, he was, a, he was a guest on our show when we were doing live shows, and it happened to be the show where Ken was taking a shot every every minute, every couple of minutes. I think I had 20 ounces of alcohol of tequila before the show even began. So by 10 minutes into into the show, I was very, very drunk, and I blacked Started out. to kick in a little. Yeah. Now, Ken, if that show, if people want to listen to that show, is that in the archive? I don't think it is. I think I, I, think I air it, and then I take it down so that not too many people get to hear it. Uh, and then I, oh. and then I do it again, uh, just so that it's a, it's an unusual, uh, new, uh, episode for people every couple of years. You're always thinking, Ken, thinking Lincoln. Yep. You're a marketing genius. <laughs> it's how you build your empire of the air. Oh man. I got something else. Oh, I forgot. I went to chat GPT uh -huh. and I asked it to make some jokes for you guys. Oh, geez. And I wanted to see which one. There's three of them. Finally, I wanted to see which one Andy liked the best. Some professional humor. So, Fredericks, your podcast, if this is typical of your podcast, it's all over the map. Oh, you better believe it. It's, what, it's my mind thing. Whatever's on my mind. Fredericks Mind Thing. Is that the name of it? Oh, right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll edit that now. That's going to be my intro now. Okay, so that title now is taken. No one else can use that title. Frederick's Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. So why did Andy Breckman and Ken Friedman start a radio show about potatoes? Is because that... they wanted to mash it up with some great tunes. Oh, that's a chat GPT joke. Correct. Okay, that one's really bad. Give us the no right. Give us another one. Why did Ken Friedman and Andy Breckman invite Don McLean to their FMU show? I don't know. Why? Because they heard he was a vinyl Van Gogh, and they wanted to pick his brain on the ultimate record finds. That's even worse than the first one. And what's the third? Well, that <laughs> that doesn't really, really come trippingly off the top. <laughs> and then what's, the, and what's, the last, what's the last one, Fredericks? Okay. Actually, I have two, but I'll use this one. Why did Andy Breckman and Ken Friedman bring a toilet to the radio station? Ooh, this one I like. I don't know why. So they could give their listeners a real crapper's delight. Wow. Exactly. These are hey, just... Ken. Ken, I think we have the, the new name for our show. Crapper's, crapper's delight. <laughs> why not? Why right, not? This not? isn't related Ken. to you, but I think it was the best joke I got from AI. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why the, not why, Crapper's delight? Why, why, did the fast, why did the fascist chicken cross the road to the White House? I don't know why. <laughs> to dictate the rules of the pecking order. 
That's another chat GPT joke. That's an that's an anti-fascist chat GPT joke. That's if, right. If I'm not mistaken. That's the only kind of chat GPT I use is the anti-fascist one. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, make sure the setting is on anti-fascist. Yeah, it's a little button. You don't want to turn that knob accidentally. It's confusing because it's right next to pro-fascist. Yeah, very, very That confusing. button. God. Yeah. Ken, we've got to be careful of that ourselves. We've been we've been forgetting to turn the knob back to anti-fascist. It's just so confusing. It is. We should label that damn knob. Yeah. But use ah. a tape over it. Oh, that's a better idea. Hey, Fredericks, well, Fredericks. Well, going forward, we can assure our listeners, our, our, our fans, of, fans of Clapper's delight, that they will never hear any more pro-fascist humor. I can't wait till somebody writes a song for the new show. Fredericks, yeah. do you have a final question? And then we got to run because we have another interview set up. Okay, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> it's a final one. You frequently, not recently, but you have frequently called your show anti-comedy, and you also have described what you do as high radio criticism. And I was hoping to have you elaborate, either one or both of you. Well, anti-comedy is pretty uh, established as a genre of comedy, I think. Wait, how, are we just, how are we anti-comedy? Well, it's, you know, conceptual stuff that's that's poking fun at comedy. You know, I think of anti-comedy as being, you know, Steve Martin, Andy Kaufman, stuff that's, uh, you know, kind of meta about comedy. Something. I had, this is all news to me. I was just trying to be funny. This is news to me. I was knocking on the wrong door. <laughs> and the guy sitting next to you knew what was happening. No? Yeah, Ken, Ken, you've been doing anti-comedy. I've been doing comedy. That's why our rowboat has been going around in circles. Jesus. I thought you were doing anti-comedy also. No, that's why we haven't been able to go in a straight Oh, my line. God. Well, it's like matter and anti-matter. Live, right? live and learn. And then the other one was high radio what? Criticism. Hi yeah. What you did on FMU is high radio criticism. That that's new to me. I've never heard of that of that one. You said it in an interview quite a few. You years said ago. it, Ken. You said it, Ken. Well, it's and probably you... probably also you know just the fact that it's a bit meta and you know and 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 poking fun at radio conventions and things like that. Maybe I'm I'm not sure what I meant. Well, that's yeah, like a lot I... of a lot of radio plays. You know, a lot of other stations play music that might please. Their audience. <laughs> I know. I know. I've heard about those. Yeah. So we go. We go the other way. Yeah. I we, they're I, zigging. They're zigging. We're zagging. I took it as to mean that the corporations are so rigidly controlling radio, and that if they believe that if you don't rigidly control it, it's going to fail. But Ken has proved that it can succeed, and you can develop an audience and carry on without following that. And it's a way of critiquing it by the way that you actually do radio. In other, way, in that, other, word, in other words, this radio station kills fascists. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yes. Okay, yes. let's just say that. Okay. And, and, okay, and Fre Fredericks, Fredericks wrapped up exactly what I meant when I said exactly. that. Thank you, oh, Fredericks. All right. All right. Crapper's delight, boys. Crapper's delight. Is Thanks, Fredericks. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That was Fredericks, listener Fredericks, that is, interviewing Andy Breckman and myself, station manager Ken, as we air the final installment of Seven Second Delay listeners interviewing Andy and myself. We have one to go. This is our own DJ, Roger Sayer, host of Double Dip Recess, Saturday mornings, 9 to 11 here on WFMU. And Roger talks to Andy and myself about the first records we bought, our early memories of radio, as well as dad jokes. Uh, Roger, very nice to meet you. Uh, could you just tell, uh, you and I have never met, of course, you know Ken, uh, but uh, could you just tell how how does Ken know you? How do you know Ken? And, and where are you talking from? And what do you hope to use this interview for? Oh, man, there's a lot of good questions. Okay, I know Ken because I do... Uh, the Saturday morning kind of family show at FMU called Double Dip Recess. Um, I'm currently in my office in New York because I am a college art professor. And uh, 
what, what I'm going to use it for. What, what, what college? Uh, Pace University. Perfect. And what I'm going to use it for is I've been, uh, from time to time, I interview FMU DJs about their kind of early music experiences. Like, what do they, what, what was their first record or what do they remember? You know, like, I've had people tell us what, you know, their grandmother used to play for them or the first thing that they, first 45 they bought or something like that. But just to kind of, uh, you know, both both make the, the listeners aware of the other shows on FMU and get a little sense of somebody's, like, personality and yet keeping it, like, kind of, you know, in the kid's zone. So I was going to ask you both that and then maybe ask you guys both for uh, if you can remember any, uh, you know, All kind right. of uh, uh, kid-friendly dad joke type jokes. I love that. And then uh, will you be playing this for your class? No, I will, this has nothing to do with uh, other than I'm at work when you guys were available. I'm going to be playing it on my show. Oh, on your show. Oh, you're playing it on the air. Okay, excellent. Yes, I, I, I do a segment where I play it a little bit of like, this is another FMU DJ, and they tell us a little bit about what they liked when they were a kid. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, okay, now I have, now it's all in context for me, okay. so, which I appreciate. Um, so uh, how do you normally begin these, uh, these sessions? Well, most of the time, people I ask people and they just record something and send to me. I think this is the first one I've done as an actual interview. So I'll just ask you the question, and then I'll ask Ken the question. Um, and, you know, you guys can comment on each other's answers, I suppose. But so, Andy, what do you remember as being like an early song or, or early record that uh, kind of stuck with you throughout your life? Uh, well, I was born in 1955, uh, so I, which is... By some accounts, uh, the year rock and roll was born. I'm as old as rock and roll. Ken, when was... Uh, so, wait, Elvis was in the studio. I think Elvis recorded, famously, recorded uh, that first cut he did for his mom in 1955. And then uh, and then went back a year later. And uh, uh, That's All Right, Mama was 1956? I don't know. Uh uh, but but all those all those sun all those sun recordings were in the in the mid fifties, like uh, Rocket eighty eight. What was that song, Ken? That some people say was the first rock and roll. Yeah, Rocket eighty eight. Uh, Sometimes it's so stupid. The first rock and roll song. The whole notion that there was such a thing. I think the first rock and roll song was Ricky Don't Lose That Number. <laughs> Well, and it doesn't have to be a rock and roll song. Yeah. Um, I mean, one, one of the but, DJs that, but no one, I can't get anyone to agree with me on that one. That was 74. Yeah, 1974. Yeah. That's a controversial opinion. Uh, anyway, I was born uh, that year, the year rock and roll. I think I'm a couple of years older than, than Kenny and uh, probably than you are too. And uh, so the Beatles were, uh, the Beatles uh, were on Ed Sullivan uh, a winter 64, I believe, right? Uh, the Beatles' first tour here. And that was, I remember seeing their picture. I was eight, nine years old. And uh, I think by the first 45 I bought was a 45 called I'm Your Puppet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember that? was that nine, So I was nine years old. And uh, so I was listening. Uh, God, it sounds like a cliche. I, I used to listen to AM radio i remember listening in my bedroom uh, late at night it sounds like every every old geezer story you've ever heard uh listening to i remember listening to sunny and Cher sing uh uh i've got you babe under my covers late at night and uh the first album i owned i i got from my neighbor i i think i traded some comic books for it was Rubber Soul, so that was '66, '67. But anyway, so I came of age right in the in, in you know the golden era of of uh, experimental rock and roll and pop, and I listened to WMMR out of Philadelphia, which I don't know if you and Ken know that station, but it was like a second cousin to FMU. It was uh, it was. Uh, I never knew that. Yeah, that's a famous station. Yeah, it was. That was my that was my radio station, and I think the DJs there were given. A pretty long leash, to, as, as, not as long as Ken gives his DJs. I believe Ken has thrown away all the leashes <laughs> that that he had in his closet. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but MMR MMR played. The MMR was uh, the per the DJs all had very distinct personalities, and I loved I loved getting to know them and and listening to them. And they all they played deep cut stuff that nobody else was playing, off of uh, 
off of the new releases. And I think, Ken, tell me if you agree, and I'm very curious, Roger, if you agree, that 14, whatever you're listening to at 14, when you're 14 years old, that's the music that that defines you. And that's that's what makes the biggest imprint. That's the age. And so I was 1969, I was 14. And uh, I think you ask anybody and they'll tell you the best music ever recorded was when I was 14, no matter how old they are or when they were born. Um, that's the age where it all where it all just suddenly becomes your music. And uh, so 1969, 1970 was my year. And that was the year of the singer-songwriters, of course. That was James Taylor and those guys. So anyway, that's my long-winded answer. Oh, well, thank you. So, so and, and uh, the I'm Your Puppet was the, the, your first purchase. Who who was who was the artist from your puppet? I'm trying to remember. I don't I, recall. I can't remember her name. Uh, oh, I thought it was a guy. Yeah, no, I thought I, it was. I thought it was like a Motown thing, but I don't. Remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Uh, it might have been a Stax thing. I, uh, but it's a guy who. But it's a guy who listened to this, Roger. He was so in love with this woman that he said, "He'll do anything you ask me to. Pull your little string." And I'll do anything you ask me to. I'm your puppet. Imagine that—that that kind of devotion. Uh, that must have blown your ten-year-old mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, it did. Now, Ken, do you agree with me that 14 is the sweet spot? Uh, well, close. I mean, I, I think I, musically for me, it was when I was 15. That was kind of when. Oh, I, excuse me. Yeah, that oh, was, I stand corrected. Yeah, that was oh, when I God. first. That was when I first started buying records. And uh, really paying paying much closer attention to music. Oh, uh, I don't know what I was thinking to say. Fourteen. Oh, I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you remember though, like before you know, when you were like before record buying age, like what you know, anything that like either your parents played or that uh, uh, was on the radio or something that. Um, I remember I mean, being a huge Fifth Dimension fan. Um, oh, really? Yep, and I remember um, being blown away when. There was a single on the pop charts, which was called The Altered Nixon Tape, which was Richard Nixon confessing to all of his crimes uh, through clever audio editing. When I was a real little kid, I loved their coming to take me away, haha, um, <laughs> by Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah. Um, my mom, let's see, my mom bought me a Sean Anna record. Uh, early on, I, for some reason, I was a Sean Anna fan because my older brother was into. Sean Anna, but that that very quickly then he became an Alice Cooper fan, and then I became a big Alice Cooper fan. Um, well, that's and, an that's an enormous leap from Sean Anna to Alice Cooper. Yes, but that was exactly how it went. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know what the next step would be after Alice Cooper. Well, if that was can... if that was step one. Yeah, it was after Alice Cooper. I think it goes Sean Anna, Alice Cooper, and then heroin. <laughs> Sean Anna was at Woodstock, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, they were. They were. There's, there's, there's some weird transition there. Yeah. And then I started doing a radio show uh, in, 19, I think it was 1976, was when I started doing a, a weekly uh, music freeform comedy show on my high school radio station. Um, but wow. then, uh, and then um, everything really opened up when I went to college in Ann Arbor and uh, got involved with the Freeform station at the University of Michigan there, WCBN, and also living in Ann Arbor at that time where I started school in 77. It was just an amazing musical scene, which, uh, alas, it did not last, but I'm glad I was there uh, when there was such a great scene there uh, in all sorts, all sorts of different genres. There was just um, so much great stuff going on. But what, yeah, radio, what radio station were you listening to, Ken, as a, as a youngster? Oh, as a youngster, I would listen to WABC um, and Dan Ingram. I loved Dan Ingram, and um, he, was my, he was my favorite. And then I started listening to, uh, you know, the more progressive FM stations. Oh, but I, also, I also was a huge Gene Shepard fan early on, like when I was – uh, eight, eight, nine years old. I used to set my alarm and wake up and listen to Gene Shepard's nightly show on WOR. Uh, and then wow! I, and, and then I listened to uh, well, yeah. Gene Shepard. Roger, your Roger. I bet your audience knows Gene Shepard because uh, he wrote uh, 
the Christmas, a Christmas story, yeah, which is based on his life. Yeah, and a Christmas, yeah, and uh, a lot of his stories uh, that he told on the radio actually um, were then included in the Christmas story movie. And then I started listening to PLJ uh, and WNEW, and then and then college radio stations, especially WPRB. I, even though I lived in WFMU's um, listening zone, I didn't listen to it until much later. Till uh, almost the end of college, I just for some reason couldn't find it and identify it. Um, people in Ann Arbor started telling me about FMU when I was in Ann Arbor, saying that my show sounded my show on WCBN sounded like the station from home FMU, and they gave me cassettes of it. That was the first time I ever heard FMU. It was on a cassette that somebody gave to me in the middle of the night in Ann Arbor, uh, and then when I started coming back home east to visit my family. Uh, I started listening to FMU. I am. Uh, I'm going to make it a point to start listening to FMU. I've heard not just from you, Ken. I've heard a lot of people mentioning it, and it sounds it sounds like a very interesting station. Yeah, you should try it sometime, Andy. I will. I will. Yeah. I'm, I've been very busy lately, but I will when I have a, a moment. I'm also wondering if you guys have any favorite, like really stupid dad jokes, because I feature a lot of those on my show as well. Who? Andy's the king of dad jokes. Actually, uh, actually, well, he's... What, 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 what is the definition of a dad joke? It's a bad... Is, dad is the... Oh, I guess I, a gr groaners, I guess. Yeah, it's a term. groaner. That, do you mean it's like a pun? Yes, I think... Oh. I think it could be a pun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is a dad joke, or is it a joke for dads. No, or no. Dad is the butt of the joke. No, it's a it's joke... clean. By dads, it's a joke by dads for their families. Okay, give me a minute. Yeah, you'll get one. I'll edit out give all. I'll edit out all the awkward pauses here. People think that comedy is just instantaneous. Ro Roger, Roger, tell me a dad joke that was told to, on the show that that uh, that was a perfect uh, example. Uh, what would you call a, a seagull that flies over the bay? A bagel. Know. A bagel. I don't wait. Yeah, a, a bagel. Oh, because it's a bay. Yeah, because it's a goal. Because the because because the word bagel combines the word bay and gull. Right. My, my favorite joke, one. Was... That is the worst joke I've ever. That is, I mean, seriously, <laughs> absolutely the stupidest joke I've ever heard. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is that that's the thing like, about dad jokes is that they're just terrible. They're just well, terrible. Four year old called out. Now, is that is, does that joke as a genre? Is it is it a genre now because it's considered a safe genre? You're not going to offend anyone. I don't know. I mean, you know, I should have just said, "Tell me a clean joke." Maybe, like my favorite one lately was, you know, that white stuff. Do you know what that's the white stuff is in bird poop? No. no. What is it? That's bird poop too. I don't get it. <laughs> I, mean, I honestly don't get it. It's. <laughs> Yeah, white stuff in bird poop is word. Do you mean it's also bird poop? It's all part of the bird poop. Yes. Family. I think the thing it's about the poop. thing about dad jokes is that a true comedian cannot comprehend a dad joke. We've just, <laughs> we've right. just. I think it sounds like they were generated by a very, very early version of those AI programs that are going around. Yeah, because not, not even, not even a new version. Yeah, you couldn't get the the bagel one either. These are these are these, all these all these dad jokes are totally throwing you for a loop. It's like that's you know what? Can I be honest with you? Can I just tell your audience of children yes. that are listening? Okay, there are funnier jokes out there than these dad jokes. Trust me, it gets better. Well, uh, this is are, your chance there to are, school them. There are, okay, I'm going to take these kids to school right now. It's time for them to graduate. Yeah, don't think that old jokes are terrible. There are good yeah, jokes. Yeah, exactly. Here's a good joke, kids. I'm going to tell you a good joke. A dad, I'll make it a dad, because <laughs> then it's technically a dad joke. A dad walks into a bar. Kids know what a bar is? Yeah. A, da a dad walks into a bar. He says, I want seven shots of your most expensive scotch, but I want it all. I want them all at once. So the bartender puts out seven glasses on the bar, and he fills the, each glass with scotch. And the dad takes the glasses and drinks them down, one, one after another. Gulp, 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 as quick as he can. And the bartender says, 
you know, you don't have to drink them all at once. You could order one at a time. And the dad says, not if you have what I have. And the bartender says, well, what do you have? And the dad says, I have a dollar. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's an example to your kids, to your audience. Jokes get better. Those, those dad jokes are those dad jokes. They're just playing you. They're not really jokes. When somebody tells you a dad joke, I'm talking to your audience now, Roger. Yes. You, you say, no, thank you. I'd rather hear a real joke. That's what you say from now on. Got it. I think, Andy, you should um, start a national awareness campaign called Jokes Get Better. That's a great idea. It's not a great idea, Roger. <laughs> Just because Ken's the station manager doesn't mean you have to crawl up his butt. <laughs> Everything he says, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> now, Roger, what what? Uh, tell me about your audience. Are they are, are is it? Fam I guess families listen together. Is that ideally what you, uh, you hope for? It it turns out that they do a lot, which I, which I find pretty gratifying. I would, yes. I would there's, there's a lot of, uh, childless adults that listen as well, but I would say the demographics for kids is probably four to 10. Okay. I have no real way of knowing cause they don't, you know, they're not the ones who pledge or anything, but that's my guess. Well, just from listening to the parents and hearing from the parents, you probably get an idea, I guess. I'll tell you one other uh, memory I have. Ken, I think I've told this story before. One other memory I have from my, a childhood regarding rock and roll, if I can just digress a little, go back. Um, uh, so when I was 11 or 12, okay, so it was the late, it was the mid 60s, late 60s, and the Vietnam War was uh, raging and was very controversial, of course. And my mother and my father were very politically active, which meant I inherited their opinions. Uh, that's another thing I want to tell your kids' audience. I, it's soon, it won't be long kids you'll be able to think for yourself and come up with your own opinions that's really what's fun that's real fun uh it usually happens when you're about 30 um anyway i was uh, i was uh how old was i 12 or 13 and do you remember that song ken uh, and roger eve of destruction yeah barry mcguire barry mcguire it was the protest song you say you're 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 uh you're say you're too young they say you're too young to vote but not for killing you know, those kind of lyrics. Yeah. Um, okay. So anyway, that blew my mind when I was 12 or 13. And all I could think was if this is me at like 12 years old, if only President Johnson could hear this record, think, 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 things would be so much better in the world. If only he would listen to this record. And I got a big envelope. And I, I bought an extra copy of the record, Eve of Destruction, and I addressed it to the president. Oh, my and God. Then, and then, though, no, this is a true story. And then I thought, oh, my God, wait, I can't just drop it in the envelope. You know why? He might play the wrong side. He might play side, <laughs> he might play side B. Side B was just some kind of just this weird, you know, this straight up love song or something. So I, 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 I do have this memory of getting a tape. And tape, putting tape all over side B, so you couldn't play it, and uh, and then mailing the president of the United States Barry a copy of Barry McGuire's Eve of Destruction. Did you and by the and, well, I, I, I'm sure I did include a note, but I, I want to point out that less than three years later, uh, we did begin to withdraw our troops from uh, from from Southeast Asia. So I can't take full credit for it. I don't even know if. I don't even know if uh, what I did was, you know, even a, a factor. But uh, I sometimes wonder if I helped or not. Can't did, argue did with re results back? like that, Andy. Look, it, it didn't hurt. All I know is it didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't you love to have been the guy in the White House basement, the mailroom guy? Wouldn't you have loved to have been that guy? To get, opening up your I mean, package. I, opening up my package, even distracted, and then say, wait, what the hell's on the other side? <laughs> What's all this tape doing on the other side? <laughs> You'd probably, probably really want to hear what that was on the other side. Yeah, it would probably make you very curious. Uh, I, I remember anyway, Nixon, Nixon had me followed for the next six months. 
I have a memory from that era also, the late 60s, of uh, visiting the top of the Empire State Building, and they, and they had a make a 45 record booth. And uh, I made myself a 45 RPM record in the booth. And uh, I pretty much did fart jokes, fart noises and fart jokes. And uh, I would give anything to... <laughs> to have a copy of that record but i've checked i've checked and, you know uh, what you know what ken if there was a copy of that record i would outbid you <laughs> i would i would end up with that record there's no amount of money you'd be willing to spend that i wouldn't top you so roger we're no. almost out of time do you have any uh, any other questions or anything that you wanted us to address i would say this um, interview has gone spectacularly well wouldn't you agree roger it's been it's been great. It's everything I dreamed for. Oh, you're the best. <laughs> um, no, this is actually I I I had planned on 20 minutes. I I, I actually have to run. So okay. This, it, it, oh, okay. Uh, um, but thank you so much. Uh, I really really appreciate it, and oh, I'll let you guys know when my part airs. Okay. Thanks a lot, Roger. Oh, f fantastic, Roger. Thanks. Thank you guys thanks for everything. See you and later, Andy. Bye, Ken. And, and goodbye to your audience. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And that's it the final seven-second delay listener interview of Andy Breckman and myself. Andy shall return from Toronto and will be doing a live show next Wednesday night. In these last 15 minutes of the program tonight, we're going to be airing some clips put together by listener Paul. The first one here is Andy reading from his seventh grade diary. Mrs. Brody drove me home today, but she dropped me off halfway and I had to walk. I was freezing. Now, this is all true. This I couldn't is, make this up if I wanted to. I, I know. Cantor was lousy also. That's me going to practice my bar mitzvah. I started reading Against Time today. It seems pretty good. <laughs> and that's my diary. Hey, I think, I think my life was pretty full back then. Yeah. This is January 6th. This morning, Dad hit Mr. Frank's car. No one was hurt. Today I gave Grandpa his present, a late Hanukkah present, a wooden fish. <laughs> Tonight I saw the birds on TV. It was pretty scary. It was Dad's birthday. I gave him pens. <laughs> Are there any jokes in this diary? Can you dear, find your first joke? Dear God, I don't even know if I was alive. I know. Nothing, this, this is nothing. No, I have no emotions. I'm not emotionally invested in anything. I must have thought my life was so interesting, intrinsically interesting. All I had to do was write down what I was doing. Yeah, we've heard a lot of diaries already, and yours are the most boring entries of anybody's. You go to hell. Yeah, you're, it's, it's kind of like I'm starting to think that you have Asperger's or something based on these diary <laughs> entries. It's like you don't understand what's well, going on. Hold on, can I? Around you. Can I tell you? Can I tell you about January eighth? And yes. you'll take it all back, please. We boiled water in lab today. <laughs> you do. You have Aspergers. You think boiling water is worth writing about? We boiled water. Let's have dueling di uh, diary entries. Okay. And we'll see. This will be. This will be a good way to contrast. Our writing styles. Go ahead. Okay, hold on. Let me get it. Let me get one. You just pick one at random. Road. It doesn't matter. I'll read no, one it sentence. It doesn't matter. March eighteenth, nineteen seventy-six. January. Okay. Hold on. My turn. January tenth, nineteen sixty-eight. Okay, you go ahead. Okay, Damascus, Virginia, to Sandy Flats Lean to. Okay, Bob Moody wants me to pay him one dollar, because <laughs> because <laughs> because about four years ago, Caroline gave me money. Got up fairly early, but not really. School was okay. Got all of our S together. I started a new shop project. It's a box. <laughs> <laughs> 201 Andy, please meet Jeff in Sacramento. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Andy. How are you? I'm living a dream. So you're, uh, you're out there. You're three hours ahead of us. Yeah. So, so you, yeah, you've already doing, you've already you know, three hours three hours behind. Yeah. Oh, three hours behind. Oh, yeah. that's right. This hasn't happened yet. But <laughs> well, it'll happen yeah. in three hours. What will happen in three hours, Andy? I don't know. I don't understand how that stuff works at all. 
we're 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 in the same time as he. It, 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 we're both in now. Us and Jeff are both. When I was when I was younger, I used to fantasize about moving to an island in the Pacific, uh-huh. where the international dateline bisected the island. Yeah. It went right across the island, and building a house right on the international dateline. Interesting. That was my little fantasy. And then in my fantasy, because I was not the brightest kid, not the sharpest tool in the shed, uh-huh. I would imagine. I could go into the kitchen and listen to the results of a big horse race <laughs> and then walk like, into the living room and pick up the phone and like, place, place a bet. Like that well, movie, hey, The Andy, Grifters. How about this? Since it's Halloween, if you cut your finger off in that time zone and then pulled your hand back, would your finger not be cut off until the next hour? Yeah. Or if you, yeah. I imagine if I had like a 24-hour flu, I'd feel fine <laughs> in the bedroom, but I'd be sick every time I walked into the den. That's kind of what I pictured. But, guys, I was in my 30s, so no reason to expect That's very similar to the fantasy that I had as a kid. I can imagine. Yeah, which was to build a clubhouse inside the middle of the Holland Tunnel, half of which was in New York and half of which was in New Jersey. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then I could buy so- pro- I could buy products in one side of the house yeah. and then move to the other side of the house and sell them for a profit. Yeah, because they don't tax cigarettes quite as exactly high. all sorts. There's all sorts of situations yeah. like that. That is the lame version of my fantasy. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I thought that's, I made it up. <laughs> you did. I went for it. I swung the bat. I think. I think my <laughs> fantasy was I just bunted the ball. Holland Tunnel. How realistic is it for you to have your island on the international dateline? That's not even real. There is no island on the international dateline, but there is a Holland Tunnel, and there is a boundary between New York and New Jersey inside it. <laughs> okay. I, and what, also, what was, the reaction, in a what was your reaction to their game. application for a clubhouse? <laughs> um, there's, it's still being considered. Yeah, I know. Well, there's a lot of red tape because there's two jurisdictions that have to. Exactly. I know. It's very tough. Yeah. Actually, three jurisdictions. It's New York, New Jersey, as well as the Port Authority. So it's very bureaucratic. There's like 18 hurdles along the way. <laughs> yeah. And at it's any awesome. point, they can just ruin your dream. But I've made it up to like the seventh or eighth hurdle. There must be an island on the international dateline. How could there not be? Because the international date line skirts the islands, if you notice. If you look it at the. Does? Inter- yes, if you notice. You mean, it's, you mean it's not a straight line? No, it's not a straight line. It actually goes around islands. A ship, an anchored ship, will do the same right on the date line. Well, you'll have to have a very tight anchor. Because otherwise, the wind is going to blow you on one side or the other of the date line. Oh, yeah, like your, your Holland Tunnel Clubhouse is so realistic. <laughs> At least it's not subject to the wind blowing me into New Jersey. When you want to be. Well, this is it. It, This is the stupidest thing we've ever talked about. This is it. Rock bottom. Congratulations. We've done it. Thank you. We've done it. (laughs) It's always good to top ourselves. Oh, my God. It's It's a good feeling. And thanks to listener Paul C. for those final two clips. So ends the six-part series of Seven Second Delay listeners interviewing Andy Breckman and myself, station manager Ken Friedman. Andy will return next week for a new live show. Uh, Thanks to all the listeners who've been interviewing us these last couple of weeks. Tonight, of course, Roger and Fredericks. And in the previous five weeks, we heard from Celeste, Dan... Daniel, George, Grant, Marie, Max, Noel, Zach, and Nadia. Thanks to all of them for uh, this great series of listener interviews. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.com.
www.worldblues.org. Stay tuned because up next, it's Weekly World Blues. sound of the blue scale. The blue scale is very simple, very useful, but also very simple to build. All you have to do is know your minor pentatonic scales. So in this case I was playing A.
The blues come so many different ways until it's kind of hard to explain.
everything that money could buy. I haven't been the best, but heaven knows how hard I try. These things I tell you, baby, seem that you could never 